You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you, and welcome to the Voice of Islam, and welcome to the Breakfast Show on the 31st of August 2022. The time is 8 minutes past 7. My name is Ali Khan, and I'm joined by Muhammad Attar in the studio here in South London. We are broadcasting from our Voice of Islam studios. It's from the largest mosque in Western Europe, uh, the Battle for Two Mosque in Morden is the location of our studios. And we have a busy, busy show for you this morning. Um, before we begin, just a little reminder that this show um, is an audience participation show. So please uh, do not hesitate to call in. Um, and the number to call is 0208-687-7878. Or you can comment via Twitter on at Voice of Islam. UK. In today's show, we are going to be discussing uh, two topics. Um, after we've talked about the news, um, we are going to be talking about the fact that drought has been declared within the UK, and we're going to be talking to a number of experts about this. In the second segment, we're going to be talking about how businesses have been affected during the course of the pandemic and how they are trying to recover. So, without further ado, I'm going to welcome my co-presenter this morning, uh, Muhammad Atasab. Peace be with you. How are you? Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Peace be upon you, all day listeners. Uh, by the grace of Allah, it's uh, it's a good morning. The weather is, uh, you know, it's it's going back to normal, to to the norm that we do have in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sun is a little bit, you know, it's uh, shining a little bit over here in uh, London. But uh, it's still cloudy, and uh, it's it's just going back to you know those grey day days that we do tend to have normally. Well, when you said weather, the weather was going back to normal. I did I did wonder <laughs> what you, what you meant. I mean, this this morning was a, a pleasant drive in. Yeah. But I'm having a look at the weather hmm. uh, forecast for today, and it's I can see it's that today is going to be mostly dry with sunny spells with. With a few showers in northern England, perhaps mm. that's what you mean yeah. by nor- uh, yeah. normal, yeah. or some patchy cloud will also develop across central and eastern England, with an odd shower possible here too. Mm. See, see, when when people categorise the British weather, yeah. I think the best way of categorising the British weather is not knowing what to not wear. knowing what to wear, not knowing what's going to happen when yeah, you step outside, not, not wearing whether you need to yeah. leave the house with a pair of sunglasses or an umbrella. Especially, you know, um, when we're kind of between the seasons, coming to the end of of, of one season. Mm. Uh, The forecast tomorrow uh, is that any mist will soon clear to leave sunshine. However, patchy cloud will develop, yielding just the odd light shower. The far southwest will be cloudier with the occasional sharp shower. And the outlook for Friday to Sunday is that Friday will have a mainly dry and bright start in places. But it looks to become more unsettled and breezy with spells of rain pushing in from the south and west. 
Saturday is expected to continue unsettled with further outbreaks of rain. The far north may escape drier. However, little change on Sunday with a nearby low pressure system continuing to push in spells of rain. I, I think the way that you categorize the weather was perfect, actually. I think <laughs> I think you're spot on. I think it's it's back to normal. Yeah, uh, it's back to normal with the with 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 the weather. Um, let's have a look at the news. Um, there's a lot going on in the news um, this morning. Um, I think. First of all, um, I just wanted to reflect yeah. on when I looked at the news last night. I saw two things hmm. coming up on my on my um, YouTube timeline. That's yeah, how, that's how I I like to consume some of my content. <laughs> um, and um, there was two attention. There was two um, news bulletins that caught my eye. Yeah, one of them was a Channel Four report. On the fact that uh, Pakistan was almost a third underwater, mm. a third mm. of the country yeah. was underwater, mm. and the other headline that caught my attention, or bulletin that caught my attention, was a report. I think it was Channel Four, maybe something else, um, which um, was talking about how um, there is an an, an emerging uh, emergency, yeah, catastrophe in Somalia, hmm. related to drought, hmm. yeah. And on the one hand, in one country, hmm. we have an excess of rain that's yeah. been linked to hmm. climate change, that's caused um, uh, floods that have led to more than a thousand deaths, hmm. and hmm. and I think millions and millions of people displaced. Yeah, to um, another country not that far away mm. um, which has through a lack of rain in yeah. the last two years mm. there's now a, there's now a widespread malnutrition um, and again more than a thousand people mm. um, have died um, over the recent period and millions I, I think the country's population is about 14 or 15 million. They're saying at least half are at risk of severe malnutrition. Okay. Meanwhile, mm. while in the Western world, yeah. the developed world, we are, who are probably, I think I think I saw a stat which said Pakistan mm. contributes less than 1% of global um, emissions. Mm. And... Yeah, it's 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 currently suffering the effects of climate change. Yeah, and we here in the um, developed world hmm. are also saying that there's a crisis, hmm. and the crisis for us is as well. We're saying there's a cost of living crisis. We can't afford our yeah. um, gas and electricity bills and fuel bills. Hmm. What's going on in the world? It's my I, question I don't to know. you. We, we were discussing. Please uh, tell our listeners. Yeah, we were discussing uh, the floods um, as well um, back in our office, um, in my office where I work. We were mm -hmm. discussing the floods in Pakistan, mm -hmm. and you, you know you, you don't just work for the Voice of Islam. Uh, no, no, no. 
<laughs> I also work for you know the MD Muslim community mm-hmm. in um I've, I've said this on a previous show as well in, okay. in uh, we have an international Talim al Quran Academy okay. where we teach the Quran um online we have de- various different in uh, various different languages as well mm-hmm. uh for example the Holy Quran's translation and we teach uh, the tajweed and nazira how to read the holy quran properly mm-hmm. and we have various different classes in different nice. parts of the world so nice. yeah so if we were just discussing within uh, within the office that mm-hmm. about the pakistani floods and some, some of the opinions um, were that uh, you know because the country is in such a state of corruption uh due to you know the the politics that they have they have never had a prime minister who has held a full 5 year term ever mm. in their history yeah so uh because you know they they're leading their own country down the hill so <laughs> someone's opinion was that you know this this could be a sign from god mm. the floods alone mm. that you need to you know lead the country in the right direction mm. because over there the, the people are just you know they they're killing each other they're looting each other they they fellow muslims and they're doing this to themselves mm. and the government is not really doing much to help them in any way mm. that was that was one of the opinions that you know um, shared in our office as well it was mm. uh, which made me realize that you know it, it could it could be true it could very well be true i think um look the, you know you've touched on a question um you've touched on a question a much wider question there mm. um people often ask the question if there's a god you know yeah. why, why why is there suffering hmm. i think and especially why is it that in many cases innocent people suffer and hmm. uh, i think the you know the, i think the simpler the simple the simpler answer here is that a lot of the ways in which which people suffering are suffering yeah they're man-made disasters people call yeah. pe- people people you know say that it's uh, ask the question why is god causing the suffering mm, mm. well actually if you look at if you look at the two instances that i've mentioned yeah they're both caused by climate change mm. which has been caused by man yeah so and also you, uh, sorry to just cut in, one, please, they they could have put uh, proper flood preventions in place yeah because pakistan and afghanistan as well where mm. there was a lot of flooding there very prone to flooding and it's happened many times before as well yeah but not proper preventions were put in mm. place like they could have put you know barriers or some sort of dam or something mm. to uh, divert the water yeah. in another direction yeah. and there's no proper sewage system either the flood once it comes in mm. the water just stays there yeah no you're absolutely right you're absolutely right i think i think um my my um uh people often talk about the corruption hmm. in third world countries and in the developing world yeah and my my always my answer to them is uh that don't be naive or blind to the corruption that happens in the developed world yeah i think just as much corruption happens hmm. um, no definitely i think i it, don't disagree with that but I, but i think it's just the way in which the corruption hmm. manifests itself um how evident it is yeah. how well concealed it is mm. it's it's not blatant yeah that, that's the thing. exactly exactly and so people people tend to turn a blind eye yeah but you're absolutely right you know i mean you know pe- people can people people could may well talk about the 37 billion that was wasted mm. on a track and trace system yeah. that yeah. never worked yeah. here who yeah. did that money go to mm. and why hasn't that money gone into reducing waiting lists in the NHS exactly right now mm. where people are genuinely suffering because mm. they can't get an appointment mm. um 
But look, let's just have a quick look at some of the the detail on the Pakistan floods quickly. Monsoon yeah. rains have caused devastating floods in Pakistan, leaving millions homeless, destroying buildings, bridges and roads, and leaving vast swathes of the country underwater. Flash floods and landslides along the Indus and Kabul rivers have left more than 1,000 dead, 1,600 injured, with the southern districts of Balochistan and Sindh worst affected. Mountainous regions in the Khyber, um, Pakhtunwa have also been badly hit. I was also seeing that the main highway that runs through kind of Balochistan has been quite severely damaged and mm. was not passable by um, by cars and there's lots of lorries that have been stranded. The climate change minister says more than a third of the country has been completely submerged by the heaviest recorded monsoon rains in a decade. The government says global climate change is to blame. The Indus River, which flows through Sindh and Balochistan, is fed by mountain tributaries in the north of the country, many of which have burst their banks following record rains and melting glaciers. The UN's World Meteorological Organization said Pakistan and northwest India have had intense monsoon this year, with one site in Sindh reporting 1,288 millimetres of rain so far in August, compared with a monthly average of 46 millimetres. Just to put that into question, 1,200, into context, sorry, 1,288 millimetres of rain so far in August, compared with a monthly average of 46. There are echoes of the devastating floods of 2010, the deadliest in Pakistan's history, which left more than 2,000 people and dead. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very sad. Um, mm. And we could probably dedicate a whole show to this, um, but, but we can't, unfortunately. Um, there has been some... Um, I mentioned the Somalia crisis yeah. earlier on as well um, in terms of the drought, which has led to um, famine with more than 7 million people now at risk of severe malnutrition. Um, you know, I, I wanted to wrap up that segment of the news just by saying that not only are our thoughts and prayers with, um, not only are our thoughts and prayers with the people, with, with anyone who's suffering hmm. uh, from um, the effects of 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 these disasters, um, but also that um, just to urge people um, who want to um, who want to um, support any fundraising efforts for um, these uh, you know for these disasters. Yeah. Um, I know that a charity that we know well on this program um, on this show, Humanity First. The website is humanityfirst.org. They have um, campaigns running where you can donate some much-needed funds. What else is happening in the news? So, in uh, in I terms think. of uh, the news of uh, our, you know, of the Hamdiya Muslim community, you know, ne- ne- the coming weekend, um, there's going to be an ijtima, a gathering mm-hmm. for the youth of our community. Yeah. Which was uh, which is called the MKA, the Majlis Khudamul Ahmadiyya, mm-hmm. uh, meaning like the community of the servants of Ahmadiyya, mm-hmm. which was started by the second caliph, um, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, in 1938. And so that's for um, you know members of our community aged from 15 to 40. 
and as well as uh, youth who are from the ages seven and upwards for them and uh, it will be you know held in um, in Kingsley it will be on, on like a farm in Kingsley and we'll have marquees and you know there's going to be various different events that are going to be taking place sports uh, sports competitions and um, academics as well so that that's going to be a really you know a really interesting one yeah i mean um i'm guessing um you mentioned the youth uh, gathering because of your age mm. <laughs> because you belong to that um because you belong to that um auxiliary organization anyone's um, uh, you're more than welcome to attend yeah, as well yeah no, my, my 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 gathering is the week after <laughs> for the over 40 yes. year olds yes um but yeah no um it's uh people may wonder why we are um you know we're split into these auxiliary organizations within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community mm. it's 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 primarily to allow us to focus on the me- the, the members who are within those age groups to make yeah. sure that there's activities um and programs for them but also mm. to make sure that they're engaged in our outreach work in the right way yeah. um and i know that you know the organization that i involve I'm involved with the Ahmadiyya Muslim Elders Association. Um they do a huge amount of charity work um and it's our uh, charity walk for peace hmm. um this upcoming weekend where we're raising um hundreds of thousands of of pounds for um worthwhile causes in the UK. Um and and I know that the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association and the yep. Ahmadiyya Muslim Ladies Association they also do they also do um they also do uh, great work um just wanted to just touch on some other news which has hit the headlines this morning yeah in that Mikhail Gorbachev the last soviet leader of the USSR before um the split of the USSR which is uh um something that i think uh, uh, uh vladimir putin wasn't too happy about <laughs> um he's died at the age of 91 now no at the you may not um this may not be relevant uh, as relevant to you but for mm. me you know growing up my generation yeah uh, mikhail gorbachev was a massive figure okay. um uh the ussr was always in the kind of news um as i was growing up in the 80s and 90s um the relationship with the usa um president ronald reagan mm. um Uh, I mean I'll 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 I'll, re- I'll read some of the news um I'll read some of the, the the headlines about about this story first of all Mikhail Gorbachev the former Soviet leader who brought the Cold War to a peaceful end has died at the age of 91 Mr Gorbachev who took power in 1985 opened up the Soviet Union to the world and introduced a set of reforms at home but he was unable to prevent the slow collapse of the Soviet Union from which modern Russia emerged tributes have been paid worldwide with UN chief Antonio Guterres saying he changed the course of history. Mikhail Gorbachev was a one-off kind of statesman, one of a kind statesman. UN Secretary General Mr. Guterres wrote in a Twitter tribute, "The world has lost a towering global leader, committed multilateralist and a tireless advocate for peace." The hospital in Moscow where he died said he'd been he had been suffering from a long and serious illness. In recent years his health had been in decline and he had been in and out of hospital. In 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 June international media reported that he had been admitted after suffering from a kidney ailment although his cause of death has not been announced Russian president Vladimir Putin has expressed his deepest condolences following Mr Gorbachev's death 
His spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, said US President Joe Biden called him a rare leader and praised Mr Gorbachev as a unique politician who had the imagination to see that a different future was possible amid the tensions of the Cold War. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen um, praised him as a trusted and respected leader who opened the way for a free Europe. His legacy is not one we will forget, she added. And finally, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he admired Mr Gorbachev's courage and integrity, adding in a time of Putin's aggression in Ukraine, his tireless commitment to opening up the Soviet society remains an example to his, us all. Mr Gorbachev became General Secretary of the Soviet Communist Party and de facto leader of the country in 1985. At the time, he was 54, the youngest member of the ruling council, known as the uh, Politburo, and was seen as a breath of fresh air after several ageing leaders. Um, few leaders have had such a profound effect on the global order, but Mr Gorbachev did not come to power seeking to end the Soviet he did not come to power seeking to end the Soviet grip over Eastern Europe. Rather, he hoped to revitalize its society. The Soviet economy had been struggling for years to keep up with the US and his policy of um, Petrostroka sought to introduce some market-like reforms to the state-run system. Internationally, he reached arms control deals with the US. He refused to intervene when Eastern Europe nations rose up against their communist rulers and he ended the bloody Soviet war in Afghanistan that had raged since 1979. Meanwhile, his policy of glasnost or openness allowed people to criticise the government in a way which had been previously unthinkable. But it also unleashed nationalist sentiments in many regions of the country, which eventually undermined the stability of the country and led to its collapse. In 1991, after a shambolically organised coup by communist hardliners failed, Mr Gorbachev agreed to dissolve the Soviet Union and left office. It, he is seen in the West as an architect of reform, who created the conditions for the end of the Cold War in 1991, a time of deep tensions between the Soviet Union and Western nations, including the US and Britain. And you know what, what I remembered most from my childhood, I mean, what I was maybe um, seven or eight at the time, is, is where he signed the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty in 1987, which helped bring an end to the Cold War. So, um, you know, he was a big, he was a big mm. leader, and I thought that, you know, the his death was um it's it's it's, it's re remembering his life yeah. in the way that he um brought an end to a potential global war hmm. is in contrast to the current uh leadership in that region which is increasing the likelihood of a global war <laughs> so it's 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 an unfortunate it's an it's an unfortunate um you know unfortunate event yeah is there any other item of the news that you want to do you wanna quickly mention before we um, so there's a new £3.6 billion uh, London transport funding deal agreed by, um, you know, between TfL and um, uh, the government. So, mm -hmm. um, but in, in regards to this, uh, the, the package includes almost a £1.2 billion of upfront funding for Transport for London to secure the long-term future of the capital's um, transport network. And, you know, it also mentioned that, you know, even with this in place, they still have to somehow find 230 million by 2024 to fund this. And because of this, uh, even since the pandemic, 20 percent of uh, the fares that are coming into um, TfL have dropped. And because of that, TfL is struggling quite a bit. And um, because of this, they will also have to rise. They'll have to raise the fares even more to cope. Mm hmm. 
but uh, they have agreed to another 3.6 billion deal. Excellent. 3.6 billion pounds. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks for that. Right. That's the end to the news update. Um, we are going to take a very, very short break and we are going to get straight in to our first uh, we're going to get straight into our first segment and we're going to be we've been talking about drought in Somalia. Um, we actually I don't think I need to ever say this, but we're mm. actually talking about drought in the UK. Yeah. So don't go away. We'll be back very, very shortly. A new station. The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show on The Voice of Islam Radio. I did say we'd be away for a very, very short amount of um, time. And, and indeed, it's, 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 we, we need to crack on because we have our first guest on the line. Um, we are going to be talking about drought um, in the UK due to low water levels and tinder dry conditions a drought has been declared in eight regions across the uk including devon kent east anglia and lincolnshire um i said earlier i I never really expected to be talking about drought in this part of the uk to discuss this with us is dr bettina langer who's the associate professor in law and regulation at the university of oxford University. She has a particular interest in environmental regulation, including the management of water resources and the role of social norms in promoting water-wise behaviour. She has published widely in the field and is co-author of Fisher Lange Scotford in 2019. And the title of this publication is Environmental Law, Text Cases and Materials, which is um, published by the Oxford University Press. Professor, good morning. Welcome to The Breakfast Show. And how are you this morning? Thank you very well, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. No, and did you ever think that you, when you were studying, that you would be talking about drought in the UK at some point? Indeed, it is um, really a surprising development uh, in, in some ways. Now, in the context of a changing climate, we are also increasingly drought in a country where it normally rains a lot yeah i mean my, my co-presenter this morning said that it's uh it's uh back to the normal weather in the uk um but yeah it's 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 the fact that we are st- you know um talking about drought when we're talking about drought in different parts of the world this morning we're talking about drought in in, in somalia and the effect that 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 that's had um and here we are talking about it here um could you could you uh Talk a little bit about how responsible management of water resources can help prevent situations um, such as droughts. Yeah, I think responsible management of water resources is absolutely key to preventing droughts. Um, the weather, such as, for example, in the UK, the July record-breaking temperatures and the change in climate more widely, they're a significant factor contributing to droughts but droughts aren't just a natural disaster. So how we actually manage water resources is really important for preventing droughts. And what we currently got is the Department for the Environment for Food and Rural Affairs pursuing a so-called twin-track approach that consists of increasing supply and at the same time reducing demand. 
But as the official uh, declarations of drought status now in a number of areas, um, as you mentioned, um, by the Environment Agency in England show us, I think suggests that we need to do more to put this twin track approach into practice. So I think it's really essential that the water companies plan ahead to mm. increase the supply through infrastructure work because we're really seeing droughts happening more often. And extracting yeah. more water, for example, from rivers in order to deal with drought only works really if there's enough water of a sufficient quality in the rivers that can be used for drinking water. So I think a fact that is sometimes neglected in mm. discussion about drought is that really at the same time, we need to do more to protect the quality of the water in, in our rivers. Yeah. And so enforcement of water quality standards by the Environment Agency is really also an important part of this whole picture of managing water resources responsibly. Mm. And then the second element of the twin pack approach, which is really reducing demand for water. And we can see how water companies are currently doing that in the UK by imposing, for example, host pipe plans. Yeah. Um, but again, I think a long-term view is important, including changing domestic infrastructure. Um, for example, installing water meters in homes. Hmm. Because the first step is really to reduce demand to simply know how much water we're actually using in our homes. Yeah. And there's really good evidence to support this. Um, on average, customers who have a water meter installed around 33 liters less of water per day than unmetered customers. Hmm. There's currently only about half households in England paying for the water that they use through meter charging. Yeah. And, and I think that tar setting targets for consumption of water per person can help to reduce demand. Um, we've now got further legal powers. The Secretary of State that is leading the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs can use set targets for the management of water resources hmm. under the Environment Act. 2021. So currently, each person in the UK consumes about 142 litres of water per day. Hmm. And for existing water companies, um, some of them are seeking to reduce that to 123 litres per person per yeah. day. On um, some water companies, such as, for example, Southern Water, are ambitious and seek to reduce that to 100 litres per person per day by 2040. But what we've seen in the past is that a number of water companies um, have not been meeting the targets they have been committing to in their water resource management plans um, to achieve those reductions with their customers. Yeah. So I think there's scope for water companies to be more ambitious and more effective in supporting their customers to reduce water use and to use water efficiently. Hmm. I think in reducing water demands, it's important not just to focus on the domestic household, but for water companies to also work with business and industry customers. Yeah. Uh, Professor, uh, what long-term effects do droughts have on the, uh, on the population? Well, um, I think there are a number of unfortunately um, negative long-term effects. And I think really often we think about as a threat to food security. Yeah. Um, 
And that as well as a matter in the United Kingdom where security as well is precarious in the sense that we import about 46% of the food that we consume. Hmm. And as the current drought is showing, it has um, led to increase in the prices for staple uh, crops such as potatoes and hence further contributed uh, to the current cost of living crisis. Yeah. But droughts also really impact negative economic activity more widely and more globally. So, for example, in France, we have seen this summer that the drought has meant that there wasn't enough water um, for cooling the nuclear reactors and um, therefore kind of exacerbating um, the existing energy crisis. And last year in Taiwan, we saw the worst record on drought for 50 years, and that contributed to difficulties in semiconductor production, which to global supply chain problems and semiconductors being really important, being used in TVs and smartphones and cars. Hmm. Uh, and well, I think it's not all doom and gloom in the sense that I think droughts as well can prompt lasting innovation. Um, and we can see that the experience of previous droughts in the UK has prompted innovation which I think really as well has helped us to manage droughts better. Yeah. What we saw, for example, in the response to previous droughts we had in the United Kingdom is that in 2003, a new water act required that water companies have to publish every five years um, together with their water resource management plans, drought plans. Yeah. And these drought plans are the actions the water company will take during a drought. And drafts of these drought plans have to be put out to public consultation. So each of us can have a say really on how we want the water companies in the drought plans as well take certain actions to use water responsibly. And the current drought sparked again renewed interest in an idea that I think is really interesting. And that is to consider to have a national water grid Hmm. A little bit like the national electricity grid, which we already got. And I think it's an idea that is particularly sensible as well in the United Kingdom, because what we see is that um, drought is particularly intense in the southeast um, of the United Kingdom, particularly in the eastern parts. So national water grid would enable to pump water from the wetter parts of the United Kingdom in the west to yeah. those parts who need the water most. Hmm. Uh, Professor, uh, just, uh, before we let you go, what advice would you give to UK citizens on how they can play a part in saving water? Well, I think there's sort of three key things that come to mind. Um, the first one is shorter showers. Um, yeah. Let's use about a less water than a bath. Hmm. And an eight minute shower, for example, uses about 62 litres of water. That's almost half of our average daily use of water. Yeah. So a shorter shower is one of the best ways of reducing personal water use in the home. And hot water accounts for about 20% of energy use in the home. Hmm. And the single largest energy use in a domestic home. So given the current extreme rise in energy costs, reducing the use of a hot water or bath or showers can make a real difference. Yeah. Um, the second one is know your water footprint. 
um, really in order to save water, so how much water we're actually using, including what's called virtual water. That's the water that was used for the production of food, for example, we eat. Hmm. So a diet consisting of less animal meat, uh, for example, beef, requires less water because drinking water is needed for the cattle and for growing the produce, yeah. the feed cattle. And so more plant-based diets can be more water efficient. And this has the added benefit of less greenhouse gas emissions from cattle. And last but not least, I think water efficiency campaigns can make a difference. Um, yeah. I think it's worthwhile to consider starting a water efficiency campaign in the workplaces to work in, in community groups or schools. Um, these are places that have economies of scales as well, apart from the domestic households for saving water. And in one of the reports arising from our research, we set out nine building blocks for developing efficiency, water efficiency campaigns. And I think finally, really, there's the option of writing um, to your member of parliament to lobby for the government mm -hmm. companies and the regulator of the water industry offered to fully use their legal powers to ensure long-term planning for responsible use of water that prevents droughts. Hmm. That's a comprehensive set of advice, um, Dr. Bettina La uh, Dr. Bettina Lange, thank you so much for your time this morning and your expertise in helping us to, to get into this subject. Uh, it's been fascinating listening to you and we'd welcome you on the Voice of Islam um, again um, when the, when, when the uh, need arises. Um, have a wonderful day and, and, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank Same you. to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Right. Okay. So um, the time is uh, seven forty-five, and then just, just, just quickly, just summarizing um, the reason why we're talking about this topic this morning is that an official drought has been declared as low water levels and tinder dry conditions continue across the UK. Eight parts of the of England um, are affected. The move is expected to trigger stricter controls on water use and five water companies have already announced restrictions including hosepipe bans. Millions are expected to be impacted but the Environment Agency said essential water supplies were safe. John Curtin, Director of Operations, said the drought would go on for a long time and warned of possible restrictions on crop growing and further hosepipe bans. It comes as prolonged dry weather combined with the current heat wave and July's record-breaking temperatures have depleted rivers, reservoirs and aquifers. Large swathes of England are bone dry with scenes of parched earth and grass turned yellow. The conditions have prompted the Environment Agency to move eight of its 14 areas into drought status uh, with more set to follow. The decision to declare a crop, uh, the decision to declare a drought was taken after a meeting of the National Drought Group made up of government and agency officials, water firms and groups including the National Farmers Union. Announcing a drought means government and water companies will put into action their plans to deal with it, with measures including hosepipe bans and taking more water than usual from rivers. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to say that we have another expert on the line, Dr. Anna Murgatroyd, who is a postdoctoral research associate at the Environmental Change Institute in the University of Oxford. Anna is the lead water resource modeler 
for the National System Simulation Modelling Project and works closely with the Environment Agency to examine the resilience of England and Wales water systems to future risks. Last year, she finished her um, doctorate on water resources, um, planning in the, Tem in the Thames Basin, which focused on water resource planning and management issues and solutions in the basin, climate impacts to water supply and risks to the river environment. Dr. Anna Murgatroyd, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. It's lovely to have you on The Voice of Islam Radio and how are you this morning? Good morning. Hi, I'm great. Thank okay. you. I, I never actually imagined uh, that we would have here in the UK a a national um, drought group or a, a group that comes together to have to, to, have to take action. Um, um, I'm, I'm guessing, were your... Were your um, studies initially focused on other parts of the world or have you always f focused on water security here? Um, I've focused mostly on water security here but mm -hmm. I do do a bit of research in Ethiopia as well mm -hmm. um, which faces, we you wouldn't believe it but faces similar risks that we're facing at the moment. Yeah, no, I touched earlier on, we, we started the show talking about the drought in um, Somalia that's caused, you know um, causing famine now and uh, yeah, it's just something that I, I I didn't think that we would be talking much about in the UK. I mean, I know it's been a, a, a very very dry summer, um, but you you look at the weather forecast now and and you see uh, that there's plenty of rain forecast, and and you know you ju you just don't f it doesn't feel like drought conditions. <laughs> could you could you explain to our listeners a little bit more about the system simulation modeling project that you've been working on, as well as your role as a lead water resource modeler? Sure. So. The Environment Agency, OFWOT, and the University of Oxford initiated the National System Simulation Modelling Project, primarily to examine the resilience and the benefits of potential national water supply solutions and policy decisions under different futures of climate change and water demand. So in the project, we've developed the very first national-scale water resource model for England and Wales. Um, and this model has been used to explore different future scenarios of drought and to assess the frequency, duration and severity of water shortages both now and into the future. Um, and so my role um, is to actually use this model. So I've been exploring key trade-offs in the performance of alternative water supply solutions um, that are presently being considered by all the water companies in England and Wales. And what is it that that um, makes droughts um, more prevalent these days? Why are they becoming increasingly common? Uh, so we know that these summer droughts are expected to become increasingly common in the future, primarily under climate change. Um, so we know from climate change projections, from global climate models and regional climate models, that our summers are going to be hotter and drier. Um, I think the Environment Agency has estimated that if we do nothing into the future, um, then by 2050 we're going to need about three and a half million meters cubed of water a day. Um, so. That is purely in England, um, and we need to meet those future pressures on public water supply. Um, and because of this, the water resources are facing mounting pressure over the next several decades. 
Um, and with expected increases in the UK's population, it means that there's going to be higher pressures on water demand. Mm -hmm. uh, and this in combination with water supplies being affected with cli by climate change means that droughts are going to really hit our water resources hard. Yeah, and I, I can, you know, saw it mentioned that, you know, one of the things that we're going to have to start doing is taking more waters from rivers. Um, is that a good is that a good solution or is, is is that like putting a plaster on a problem? Um, well, it's a solution that's been quite common in the past. Mm -hmm. So, at the moment, uh, or usually when water companies take water from rivers, they're only allowed to take a certain amount, and this is to protect the environment in the river. But when we have droughts, the water companies can apply for drought permits, which mean that they can take more water. And this is okay, provided that we know the river's water is going to be replenished. So we're pretty confident that there's going to be rainfall in the future, and that means that the river levels are going to go back up. But we don't know what will happen if the rivers are completely run dry. Um, it'll probably have devastating effects on the environment. And what what is it that makes droughts... Um, how, how do droughts affect the population in this country i mean we 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 can see you know uh, i was talking about some um somalia early on you know two years of of drought which has essentially been caused by an underperforming um rainy season you know um three or four times um over that two-year period and, and the effect that that has in terms of an extreme level where mm -hmm. um, you know you've got animals dying and you've got children malnourished and you've got no crops whatsoever, I think it's harder for people to visualise how drought can be dangerous in the UK because they're not used to seeing those images here. How can people be expected to be affected by drought if if action's not taken? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think people of my generation have never experienced drought. Um, if you ask to ask older people, they'll mm. say that they remember the 1976 drought where people were reliant on standpipes, um, people's homes or water supply to homes was turned off. And so to get water, you actually had to go out in the street and collect it by buckets. Wow. Um, so what we consider a serious impact um, to water supplies is if supplies have treated water to home and businesses are cut off um, so typically we expect to see water shortages for municipal water users when we're in drought um, and these can manifest as temporary restrictions on the use of water or even cuts in piped water supplies uh, with substitution by severely rationed water for other sources um, and the economic consequences of these shortages can be potentially devastating. If you imagine businesses have their water cut off, then it's no longer safe to work in there, and it means that people can cannot go to to work. Um, and so these effects can be cascading through the system. And finally, what can we do to increase water security and to promote sustainable water management techniques, in your opinion? So because we know that uh, water shortages in England are anticipated to worsen in scenarios of more severe climate change, um, in parts of the country we need to reduce water withdrawals and we need to protect and restore the aquatic environment and limit the water available to human use. Um, 
so what water companies are doing are looking to provide new water supplies and take steps to reduce demand. Um, so they're currently looking at various different large strategic infrastructure options, um, including transfers, new reservoirs, uh, wastewater reuse, um, and water recycling. Uh, so these water companies are looking to make big investments to try and secure our water into the future. Uh, in addition to this, we can try and reduce our own demand. So in the home, you can try and install or you can have a water meter installed so you can monitor your water use and try and make steps every day to reduce your overall water consumption. Dr. Anna Mogatroyd, thank you so much for your insight and expertise this morning into this topic it's been uh wonderful listening um and interesting listening to you um and we'd love to have you on again sometime when um relevant uh, relevant discussion happens and uh um wish you a great day thank you it's been my pleasure thank you thank you bye bye so um Adram, i'm a little bit speechless right now mm. I'm, I'm i'm a little bit speechless right now i mean I know you probably think that I would remember the 1970s, but I wasn't actually <laughs> around then. No, but no. to think that as as short as you know as long, not as long ago as mm. 1976, yeah, there was no water supply in people's homes, and people mm. were having to go in the UK. Yeah, people were having to leave their homes to, to go and water. find water. I mean, to me, the yeah. image that comes in my head is when you think of a developing country mm. and mm. someone walking. Hmm. With a pot on their head yeah. to can't collect water. Hmm. You could be seeing that in the UK again, very soon. Wow! I didn't even know it happened before. Hmm. Yeah, n- neither did I. Yeah. I mean, all of these these things are happening around the world, yeah. especially in uh, you know more developed countries. We're seeing this um, uh, happening a lot more now, and uh, you know some people are still um, they're like. They 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 don't think of this as a, they don't think of climate change as a problem, they don't think it's real. This is the opinion of some people. They think it's just it's just a thing that just people just talk about, and um, it's not it's not here yet. Yeah, that's what they think. Yeah. But the problem is here, and we're seeing it more and more every day, especially you know in in countries such as our country, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be you know one of the most developed countries, and uh, it's it's a true real problem that we do need to tackle. It's it's something that you know maybe we we couldn't have even imagined. I I I didn't know about this. I didn't. I personally didn't know about the nineteen seventy six uh, drought either, where people had to go collect uh, you know waters water from a, from a distance in in buckets. And if that happens again, you know it's, it's going to be quite troublesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, she. I think um, it was a previous uh, guest, um, Doctor Bettina Lange. Yeah. That mentioned taking shorter showers mm. and only taking an eight minute shower I smiled yeah because um, even eight minutes uh, you know could sounds kind of kind of long yeah yeah, yeah I mean exactly I, mm. mean, I mean it doesn't if you reduce it to five it'd be a lot yeah, better yeah it doesn't it doesn't take that long mm. to, to it shouldn't take that long to shower but you know these are the these are the things that um, we have to start thinking about mm. now we have to start thinking about every aspect yeah of our lives, and I'm, I'm. I guess you know this. This whole thing about having a shorter shower, mm. it's not just related to drought. I mean, yeah. many people are going to be. I was listening to someone else talking about 
how much it costs each each of the appliances in our house cost to run mm. every time you put the washing machine on every time you put the dishwasher on every time you you know put the kettle on a lot yeah. of people are going to be monitoring their energy usage and actually a, a hot shower mm. is also putting your boiler on yeah. and putting a boiler on can also be um very expensive if you're mm. trying to uh save on the amount of gas that you're using and you know cold, cold, having cold showers is it's good for your health as well it's it's good for the body it, like rejuvenates i'm a huge advocate of cold showers yeah i I'm recently started uh, yeah. doing it a lot and it's it's, it's nice especially after it ex- freshens you up as well especially it's good for, it's good yeah. for your mental health yeah, it's good definitely. for your physical health mm. um there's huge benefits mm. um let's take a quick break um and we will uh, be back with you shortly we're going to talk to a few more experts uh, regarding this topic And um please do remember that you can call in on 0208 or comment on Twitter at Voice of Islam UK. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show on the Voice of Islam Radio. It is the thirty-first of August, twenty twenty-two. The time is three minutes past eight. You are joined from the studio in South London um, with Ali Khan and Muhammad Attar. We are live from our studios in um, Morden Mosque, the Battle for Two Mosque, which is the largest mosque in. Western Europe and one of the um, centers of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association here in the UK. Um, we've been talking this morning about drought in the UK. We've been talking about water security. We've been talking about the um, modeling systems to improve water security. Um, we've talked to some um, very, very um, interesting and knowledgeable guests Uh, the University of Oxford has been well represented uh, this morning with some of the guests that we've spoken to. We've spoken to Dr. Bettina Lange. We've spoken to Dr. Anna Murgatroyd. And we're looking forward to speaking to a few more experts at the moment to help make sense of this. Um, to help make sense of this. Um, um, it's hard to make sense of this, as I said earlier. Yeah. Um, thinking back to you know, we, I think for both of us, we've discovered for the first time that as 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 short a time ago as 1976, there was a water shortage in this country, a drought in this country, so significant that water supply in the home was stopped, and you had to go out 
onto the streets to collect your water, which is an image that something that you would normally only associate with a developing country. Hmm. Uh, Some people would argue right now that the the country is pretty much going backwards in every regard. So maybe it's... Maybe we should not be classifying ourselves as a developed country anymore, but that's an opinion. Um, I'd like to say that we have yet another guest on the line. Um, we have Professor Cecilia Tortajada, who is a professor in practice environmental innovation, University of Glasgow, um, and at the adjunct senior research fellow at the Institute for Environment and Sustainability. Um, at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, which is the national you know, at the National University of Singapore, she is editor in chief of the International Journal of Water Resource Development, the associate editor of Water International, and member of the editorial board of the Journal of Natural Resources Policy Research, Urban Planning and Transport Research Journal, and the International Journal of Water Governance. She's also the co-editor of the Water Resources Development and Management book series, Nature Springer and the member of the series advisory board, Springer Briefs in Earth Sciences, Geography and Earth System Sciences. Wow, uh, Professor Cecilia, that is quite a resume and you are certainly well qualified to talk about on this subject. Well, thank you. Good morning. Uh, Good well, morning. Again, thank you for the invitation to be a part of your program today. No worries at all. And can I just clarify, is your surname Torta Khada or Torta Jada? Which no, Torta Khada. You Tor- pronounce it Torta Khada. Okay. That's a relief. I normally <laughs> get it. I normally get it wrong. Um, so, um, Professor, f- first of all, just asking you, how significant is the effect of droughts on the health of the planet? I mean, we've, we've talked very much this morning the, the sh- about, we started by talking about drought in the Somalia. Um, and now we're talking about drought in the UK. But how significant is the effect of droughts on, on the health of the planet as a whole? It is very significant. When we talk about droughts, we tend to think on the impacts to humans. However, there are impacts, as you have said, to the health on the, of, of the environment because of biodiversity. There are places that nature recovers, but there are places that take longer. Trees die and uh, biodiversity dies. There are species, they may not distinguish after a short drought, but after a series of extended droughts, they may. So the health of the planet suffers. But but let me go go back to a comment you just made before I start, before you introduced me, which was water security. For many years, water security, part of which is water availability or droughts or floods, uh, was considered to be a problem of the now called global south or developing countries. However, it is a global problem, and you put it very well. And because it is a global problem, is that we have to see it in a more comprehensive way. For example, the droughts have a very serious impact on agriculture, on livestock. And we see from the point of view of globalization, and in this case, there are global impacts. However, this has very big impacts in terms of local livelihoods. And we tend to see that the death of the cattle, for example, happens in in places that are in developing countries that are less prepared, but not so much in developed countries. And the reason is because developed countries have stronger institutions. That is the big difference. We cannot stop a drought, 
that we can work more on management of child risk. And that is something that is missing much more in the developing countries. And now these, these doubts are taken by surprise to the developed world because it didn't happen before. But with climate change, we just don't know what will happen next. So actually, you put it in a very nice context, in a more comprehensive context. It's not only the child. It's not only the fact that people have to get water. I don't know if with a bucket, but certainly uh, somebody is distributing bottles of water. It's a matter of water security. Um, Professor, you know, in regards to other global changes that we experience, such as, you know, typhoons, floods, hurricanes, etc., how much more of a threat would you say are droughts or are they on the same level or a, a bit less? They all are different. If you see the flood, for example, that uh, Pakistan is now suffering and you see the, the floods in China some years ago, they were absolutely devastating. Yeah. The difference with the drought is that they build with time. That means that we should have time to respond to droughts and even then we don't. And with hurricanes, cyclones, floods, the, the, as big as those that are happening now in Pakistan, we have less time. So actually, without we should be able to be better prepared, but we are not. So that is where the question is, why we are not better prepared for droughts? And uh, Professor, could you uh, briefly tell us that uh, could droughts lead to uh, something, something worse, something further, something worse? No, no, the, the droughts, as we can see, are very serious. They have been mega droughts in the history of the planet. Yeah. And we don't know what is coming now. The difference is that we have institutions. Why is it that a drought, that droughts in California that happen every certain years, they don't devastate the economies? Hmm. And why is it that droughts in countries that are much less prepared do devastate the economies and they affect so much livelihoods of people? And this comes to institutions, and this comes to political systems, this yeah. comes to policy decisions. So it comes to management of child risk, identification of vulnerabilities, and what can we do about them. Yeah. So yes, they are bad, but they won't bring the economy, the countries down if the institutions step in. Hmm. And uh, Professor, how can we as a global community tackle this problem? We can with many activities. We starting as individuals with water conservation, with uh, in the agricultural use of water is used more efficiently. That industry um, use water also. Let me use the same expression more efficiently. But at the end, it's a matter of countries and their policies, because once the countries establish a policy, once the governments establish a policy, every actor in society, economic and social they will have to follow it. So we need better policies. And what has happened is that big companies, they have started, because of societal pressure, they have started to modify their processes and they have become more water efficient. But the agricultural sector is not efficient. We don't charge for water. Should we charge for water as a tool for water conservation? Mm. People oppose it, but do are we... Are able? Are we willing to use water better, even if we don't pay for it? And I don't. I think we we need a kind of carrot and a stick combination. Mm. 
there uh, in most of the countries water there is no pricing for water it's not considered as something the government should do water is supposed to be subsidized but there is no reason why if we pay more we may be able to to conserve water better we have the example of Phnom Penh in Cambodia where the water utility charges for water there is a pro pool program and water losses are much lower than the ones that there are now in England so that may be a way we can achieve some more water conservation but overall what we have to identify to do is to identify the risk the vulnerabilities the hazards also as society that is what we can do in terms of preparedness specifically for drought professor cecilia tortajada Thank you for that perspective on this, the more global perspective on this. Um, I, I can call it a crisis. Actually, I think it is a crisis. I think we've, yeah, I think we've definitely. defined it as a crisis. Yeah. Definitely, this morning. Indeed. Yeah, Indeed and uh, crisis, yes. and it's been wonderful having you on the Voice of Islam radio, and we hope to on ag- have you on again soon. Sometimes have a wonderful day, and uh, peace be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank Goodbye. you. Thank you. Goodbye. It's certainly. Is a crisis, mm. um, and you know, she, um, the professor Tosakada made a very interesting point there. I know, I know, she stopped short of advocating yeah. that we should charge for water differently. Mm. But I was thinking to myself at that moment in time that if a person was literally paying for their shower yeah. for as long as their shower was going on, mm. would that change their behaviour? Definitely. So the way Definitely. that we're charged for water. Mm. Because I believe we're not actually charged. We're, st- we're charged standing charges, mm. but we're not necessarily. All of us are not necessarily charged in full for all of the water that we use. That's what uh, one of the previous guests mentioned about water meters, right? Yeah. So people with water meters, she said, they use about thirty-two less liters of water a day. Yeah. Because I know, I know, I have this. You have boundaries set in place, right? Yeah. Which, yeah. if you exceed, mm. you will be fine. Essentially, yeah. fine. Yeah, right? it's a casual attitude. I think yeah. I, I remember. You know, I I I have a casual attitude as well, thinking that if I've leave, left the tap on for a little mm. bit longer than I should, mm. it's fine because it's going back into the system, yeah. and it will come back again. Mm. It will be purified and it will come back again. Mm. So I'm not wasting water. Yeah. But actually, I I think that you know myself included, mm. I think there's a lot of education mm. that's needed. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, education that's needed on this matter. Um, I said earlier on that um, Oxford University has mm. been very well represented on the show this morning. I'm now yep. glad to say that Imperial College London <laughs> is being represented because we have on the line um, Professor Walter Beitart, who is the Faculty of Engineering and Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering, a professor in hydrology and water resources at Imperial College London. He is an expert on the impact on, of environmental change on the water cycle and its impact on flood and drought risk. He has a particular interest in participatory approaches to managing water resources, including citizen science. He works extensively in developing regions and especially the Andes and the Himalayas, beautiful parts of the world, to understand climate change impacts on water security. He has a degree in environmental engineering from the University of Leuven in Belgium and has worked before at the universities of Lancaster and Bristol. Professor Walter, good morning and welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio. Well, good morning. Pleasure to be here. No, it's 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 it's, it's a pleasure to speak to you. And 
could you know we've we've talked a lot this morning we we've come at this from different angles we started this morning talk, talking about the drought a uh, drought that's led to the famine emerging famine in somalia we've we've then learned a lot this morning about um water security in the uk um could you briefly outline from your in your opinion the, the biggest risks of droughts on the population sure well, of course, uh, the biggest risk is uh, the risk to our water supply. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're still, especially in the UK, very far away from the moment that our taps will run dry. But of course, during drought, the amount of water available in the in reservoirs, in rivers, in groundwater um, storage is decreasing, and that gets the uh, the water supply companies uh, worried. Uh, and so they need to uh, to take measures to ensure that. Um, uh, we've got sufficient good quality water coming out of our, our taps, and obviously that is much more challenging during uh, during drought conditions. Mm. Uh, other people that uh, will get worried are farmers, who obviously use a lot of water for their, their plants and, and, and animals uh, need water, and so they get uh, concerned that um, uh, plants and, and crops may, uh, uh, may, may, may grow in suboptimal conditions, uh, harvests will be lower and they might need to take additional action even to the point of um, irrigating their crops to ensure that uh, they grow the, the best they uh, they can and of course the, the wider environment might might also suffer uh, plants wildlife might not get sufficient access to water uh, might suffer might potentially die and so droughts can have a, a very detrimental impact on the um, uh, the, the broader environment mm. Would you describe some of these risks as chain reactions? Because you, because I can see some linkages there where one causes the other. Yeah, there are a lot of, of uh, secondary impacts and mm. cascading impacts, if, if you will, as well as interactions between all those. Um, so the, a very typical or very um, clear impact is that if, if farmers struggle with them, um, with growing crops and, and droughts affect the um, the harvest, uh, for instance, the, the harvest of potatoes here in, in the UK, then that means that uh, production will be lower, which might have an impact on, on prices in, um, in the supermarket. Uh, it's unlikely we'll, we'll run out of potatoes, but obviously if, if the crops, uh, uh, or the harvest is lower here, they need to be important, which might be more expensive. And so eventually uh, that, that will have an impact on availability as well as the, uh, the cost of, uh, of food. Uh, also, I, I mentioned the wider environment. Uh, obviously, for our water supply, we need to take water out of the environment, um, put it into the into the, the supply network, and that might might uh, make the impact on uh, on the environment and, for instance, river water quality uh, more more severe. So there's a, an offset between the amount of water we leave in in, in the rivers for provision and and other um, biodiversity and the amount we can take out for our, our own water supply. Um, so those are all uh, interactions and, and, and cascading impacts on uh, food, but also water services. If the industry doesn't have enough uh, enough water, uh, then that might also increase their costs of um, of production, which again will be reflected in, in the prices we pay in the um, uh, in, in shops and, and supermarkets. Or another aspect where the water is, is very important is the production of, of energy. Uh, for instance, cooling water of, of water of um, electricity plants. Uh, and so if there's not enough water or the, 
the temperature of the water increases too much, for instance, in, in the case of the exceptional heat last month, then that might also have an impact on um, energy companies' ability to produce energy. So water is, is everywhere, and there's a lot of lot of, uh, uh, of interactions with other goods and services that, that we consume. Uh, Professor, we've had you know a few tips from our previous guests on uh, in regards to how households can uh, you know reduce their water footprint. Um, and but in your opinion, what can you know companies, industries, and businesses? What can they do to manage their water better? Well, there's there's a lot that can be done uh, from very simple tips in, in in the household of consuming uh, less water, taking uh, shorter showers, to obviously optimizing the um, uh, the, the water use and reducing water use in, in, in agriculture and um, an industry, um, for instance, in, in the case of farmers, if farmers require irrigation, mm. there are very many different ways of um, irrigating the fields. Very simple yeah. way is just dumping a lot of water on the field, but that's not very efficient. Uh, so we can use, um, uh, well, farmers can use more advanced uh, irrigation systems that, are, uh, that, that use far less water. Hmm. Uh, the same for uh, for industry, uh, in, in industrial companies and, and, and businesses are always trying to to, to reduce and, and optimize the amount of water that they use, simply because the more water they use, the more they have to pay. Hmm. It's in their own interest also to um, to minimize the, the amount of water they, they use. But that requires investments, uh, that, that requires uh, research. So obviously that's, that's a slow process of, yeah. um, uh, of, of optimizing water use. Yeah. And uh, Professor, you know, in um, in regards to this, uh, to prevent um, uh, to prevent uh, the risk of droughts, uh, would this water management help or because, you know, droughts can still happen with if there's like a lack of rain or for if, the, if for any other reason, a droughts can still occur. Would having better water management help prevent this? Uh, yes, it, it, it surely will do. And I think it's important to, to keep in mind that unfortunately, uh, in, in the conditions of, of climate change that we're living at the moment, it's very likely that droughts will become more severe and, and potentially longer. Hmm. Uh, that's just a direct a direct result of, of um, anthropogenic climate change. And so that's that's the reality we, we have to face uh, now and in, in, the, in the future. Uh, and so under those conditions, it, it's of course paramount that we try and, and adapt uh, to that that new reality, hmm. and 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 they're making best use, making sensible use of of water and managing it in the in the best way we can, will be paramount. And in a way, we're we're running a race against climate change, which will decrease water availability. And, and of course, the 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 better we adapt to that, and 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 the better we um uh, we make good use of water, the the more that that will help us with safeguarding our water supplies in in the future. But also minimising the, um, the, the the impact on um, on the environment and and, uh, and other processes. Professor Walter Baitart, thank you so much for your time this morning and your insight into this into this uh, very very important subject. It's uh, been wonderful having you on the breakfast show, and we hope to have you on again on the Voice of Islam radio soon. You're very welcome. Thank you. My have pleasure. a great day. Peace be with you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, again, I think it's just to emphasize, really, yeah. you know, where we were coming from hmm. earlier. I mean, it's something, really, that we never expected to 
be a problem in the UK. Um, but it really does outline. It really does emphasize the global nature of this mm. of this issue. Yeah. And 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 it brings the focus back onto climate change mm. because I think it, it's ultimately um, climate change which has caused which is causing this. Yeah. And we said earlier about the you know we mentioned chain reactions when we were talking to this this guest just now. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, um, man-made disaster. Mm. Or natural disaster. Mm, yeah. People often ask this question. Mm. Those who believe in, those who believe in uh, God, believe in a creator, yeah. will then will then equate mm. a natural disaster to something that is can be controlled by God. But mm. I think the argument I was making earlier is that what we consider to be natural disasters, yeah. if you understand climate change, mm. it's actually man-made mm. and it's caused by man. You know, yeah. God Almighty blessed us mm. with a perfect. Um, a world which has a perfect has plenty of perfect equilibriums. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, um, uh, I'm not a scientist by any mm. stretch of the imagination, but if you look at all of the various systems mm. that God has put mm. on the planet, yeah, and how nature functions, how the you know how climate functions, how mm. Um, you know, biology, the animal kingdom, the seas, um, forests, how there's equilibrium across all of nature. You know, it's, uh, sorry to no, no, go on. It's, it's Islam itself is a perfect religion. Mm. And one of the fundamental teachings of Islam is to do everything in its, in its uh, like moderate manner. Do not do anything in excess. And when you do something in excess, that's when it leads to problems. For yeah. example, it mentions about food as well that you can mm. eat, but uh, what is right for you, but mm. do not eat in excess, because that's when the problems start. So yeah. we should, you know, limit because that leads leads to over farming. Exactly, yeah. we should limit the water usage to mm. what we need instead mm. of you know just having long showers just because yeah. it feels good, or you know j when you're brushing your teeth, mm. you just leave the tap on, mm. right? People do that. Instead of when you're brushing, you don't need the tap on, but people just tend to leave it on, and that wastes a lot of water. Mm. Long showers, yeah, long about. showers as well. And um, the thing is, we, we we talked about you know the 1976 um, you know drought mm. here in the UK where they had to go and collect water in buckets, but this is the case still today in some countries in such a, such as in Africa, mm. where they still have to do that. They have to travel miles on foot to get clean water. Mm. And we have access to clean water and we're wasting it, which in result is, you know, damaging the country. So you're saying, you know, one of the key fundamental principles of Islam in terms of understanding the teaching around moderation yeah. has, a, has a big impact here. Definitely. Uh, you know, um, we often... You mentioned there about Islam being a, a holistic a, a, a guide hmm. to mankind. Let's just, just discuss briefly um, what Islam says about climate change, and, and, yeah. and let, let's 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 reflect on the words of um, the Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, who's the global leader um, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, and in response to a question on climate change and how it can be tackled, His Holiness said that climate change is a problem everywhere, all across the world, especially in third world countries where the population is increasing disproportionately. Just to accommodate the increased population, nations are developing new residential areas and because of this, forests are being cut down and this deforestation is a major cause of climate change. So you have to be very particular 
that whenever one tree is cut, two trees should be planted in return. Continuing, His Holiness said, fuel consumption should also be reduced. Now people have become so lazy that if they want to go from one place to another and the distance is only a couple of hundred yards, instead of walking to the place, they use their motorbike or car. In this way, pollution is increasing. There are so many other factors which are also causing pollution and climate change. So we have to be very careful. Although we cannot say that because of the fear of climate change, we should not have children. His Holiness went on to explain that human beings should do all that is in their capacity to combat climate change and change their ways for the sake of the future of the human race. His Holiness referred to the specific effect of climate change in Indonesia, where its capital Jakarta is said to be sinking under rising sea levels and is at risk of submerging during the coming decades. His Holiness said it was not the only it was not that only Indonesians were affected afflicted by climate. Rather climate change was a global phenomenon both in cause and effect i think um that in itself you know we talk about uh, islam being a complete religion mm. uh, if the global leader of one of the um most dynamic and fastest growing muslim communities in the world the yeah. muslim community yeah. is highlighting the importance of of cli- of climate change mm. and highlighting the importance of us um, trying to minimize it and 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 grounding those instructions in uh, Islamic teachings. Yeah. Um, then I think that there's a you know we should we should sit up and we should listen. Hmm. Definitely. Uh, you know, just before we wrap up this topic, I just mm. wanted to mention one more brief point. Um, you know, uh, so tech billionaires such as uh, Elon Musk. Yeah. You know, he wants to colonize Mars. Mm. Right, and he says humanity will not. Progress will not go anywhere unless we do so, mm. and he truly believes already the true advocate for it. And I'm, I it's not that I disagree with him. It's just the fact that we do have such a beautiful planet mm. to ourselves already, mm-hmm. and m- the Martian climate is very hostile, right? It's, it'll be a very hard mm. to you know set up camps mm. there or whatever, make a colony. Um, you instead, saying, you're saying we should focus. Yes, on we should focus on fo- focus on what we have yeah. instead of destroying it and instead of looking for alternatives. I think Elon Musk would argue that through Tesla, he's 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 contributing to that effort as well. But you know, yeah. it's, it's very important the point that you raise, and actually, it's something that His Holiness mm. touched upon there, which is um, global population. Yeah. yeah, and we do have a situation now mm. where the population in the developed world yeah. is going to fall. Mm. Many societies, mm. um, due to the, the due to the number of children. That yeah. people are not having, mm. we can see that populations are going to mm. shrink. Yeah. We are also seeing that in parts of the developing world, mm. um, because they're having as many children as they normally do, their populations are going yeah. to rise. But what you have is a situation is that you, in the developed world is consuming more mm. than the developing world, yeah. and it's polluting more mm. than the developing world. Mm. Now. You know, whichever way you look at it, whatever your you know ideological and political beliefs or or what have you, yeah, um, young people are going to be needed to power global progress. Definitely, and Definitely. and those young people in the developed developing world are go- are going to be crucially important to us in mm. the future, and and we have to restore some sort of balance between mm. the developed world and developing world in terms of energy com- consumption, in terms of pollution, yeah. in terms of consumption in general. Mm. So that we can, again, it goes back to, we talked before, that 
God Almighty's given us a planet and mm. a system mm. that is in equilibrium, yeah. or that was in equilibrium, and it's yeah. only humans who are disturbing and destroying mm. that equilibrium, mm. which is it, which is leading us to a place where we are essentially. And where we've created a situation, an unsustainable situation, yeah. we're creating conditions, man-made conditions, where the planet can no longer sustain us. Hmm. Um, but that's not how it was given to us. Yeah, definitely. And we, so we are the pro- we are the problem. Hmm. But I think what all our conversations with all of our experts this morning have led us to conclude: we are also the solution. Hmm. You know, we are also we. You know, yeah. only we can solve the problem hmm. that we are creating, hmm. which is uh, you know definitely. Definitely a huge argument for, um, uh, you know, being far more conscious of of the way in which we consume our food, the way in which we consume our energy. Mm. As His Holiness, um, the global leader of the Amazonian Muslim community, um, we've just heard as well talking about how we should change our everyday habits. Um, I think that's got to be the overriding Mm. conclusion from our discussion. Definitely. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And we're going to be back very, very shortly to start our second topic, which is we're going to be talking about how businesses were affected during the coronavirus pandemic. So don't go away. We'll be back very, very soon. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The question of suffering is uh, a very vast subject and uh, in a few minutes uh, it will be very, very difficult to to give uh, the answer to satisfy the questioner. Uh, First of all, every natural disaster is not a punishment. Um, you know, in, in the last uh, thousands of years, uh, every year there are hundred thousands or millions of floods. But the flood which was uh, during the time of Noah as a new al-Islam mm-hmm. was a punishment. Because God warned that if you don't accept my messenger, you'll be punished. Uh, every earthquake is not a punishment, but the, the earthquake which was uh, during the time of Lot or Prophet Luther al-Salam was a punishment. So first of all, this should be noted that every natural disaster is not a punishment. Uh, To understand this uh, question of suffering, uh, if we just uh, quickly talk about uh, evolution of life on Earth, uh, it has taken one billion years. And uh, we agree with the scientists and the Holy Quran um, you know, accept this idea that uh, there was uh, evolution, um, but not a blind evolution as uh, the scientists say or as, the, as Darwin says. Uh, it was by choice and mm-hmm. it was controlled by God. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih in his book Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth has discussed this and uh, he comes to a point where he says that if there was no suffering, there would have been no progress, no evolution. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. 
Welcome back to the breakfast show on the Wednesday, the 31st of August 2022. The time is 8.36. We are now moving on to our second segment of the morning. We are going to be discussing the effect of the coronavirus pandemic and the effect that this had on businesses. The gist of this story is that industries, many industries, were severely affected by the unpredictable event that was the pandemic. Data shows the various effects that took place to different types of industries. And we're going to have a look at how this seemed to occur. Some of the data that we're looking at is from the School of Marketing, um, and um, which is known as a marketing training hub. And they recently conducted a study. And this analyzed the latest Office of National Statistics figures and a government data and, and government data on the number of businesses that were born and that uh, unfortunately closed in the last um, in the last uh, two years, which is you know essentially during and after the pandemic. Before the pandemic, there was slow growth because with every hundred businesses, um, eighty six point five eight. Um, businesses starting was offset by 91.51 closing. However, after the pandemic, the the industry, this industry in particular, was affected severely with 173 businesses um, closing for every 100 new ones. This illustrates the post-pandemic change um, of, of, of kind of 16 kind of percent. Now, if we look at um, if we look at you know an article that um, by the Economic Observatory dot com, uh, which is talking two years on how has the pandemic affected businesses in the UK, the past two years have have been very challenging for UK businesses, and even as lockdown measures ease and consumer demand recovers, surging inflation, labour shortages, and uncertainty about future sales present several obstacles ahead. COVID-19 has had a significant impact on UK businesses and two years on from the start of the pandemic, this article takes stock of how businesses were affected, the extent to which things have recovered and where the effects of COVID-19 are still being felt. Now, what we saw in uh, during the pandemic was a large fall in sales in many industries. Sales have recovered gradually, but there have been further smaller dips um, since. Now, we also have to look at uh, the wider picture, the impact of Brexit, um, the impact of the cost of living crisis. But certainly we can see uh, that if you look back at trends, Hmm. that when we had, you know, we thought we were coming out of the pandemic and then we had the Omicron wave um, around this time last year. Um, or certainly in the period up until Christmas. And that led to a further kind of damage to kind of consumer confidence mm. and, and, and sales in general in, 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 in businesses were affected again. Um, what we've also seen is, is that firms and industries have not been affected um, equally. Mm. Industries that relied on personal interactions or travel, such as airlines or hotels, were hit the hardest. Um, estimated falls in sales uh, were largest in accommodation and food and recreational services, and these industries continued be, to be the ones 
that were most affected in the latest data. Looking ahead, um, the survey uh, expect that the effects of the co- of COVID nineteen on sales to continue to ease during twenty twenty two. So you know we have been seeing that, and by the second half of this year, UK businesses were expecting COVID nineteen to have be having little effect on their sales on average. But you've seen you know uh, after we've seen you know for example industries like the airline industry they yeah. were probably expecting to um be in a period of recovery mm. and and actually enjoying a lot of uh, growth right now yeah. but you see it's one thing after the other because mm. you know the airline industry had to contend with the pandemic yeah and now what's effectively the first summer since the pandemic when they can kind of increase sales and and, and benefit from people having being able to go on holiday again. Yeah. What have we seen? We've seen the impact of uh labor shortage mm. and there being a shorter of workers for a variety of reasons has actually damaged the industry yeah. hugely because there isn't the staff to, you know, there isn't mm. the staff to run the airports properly. There isn't the staff to get planes uh in the air. So actually what we're seeing is is that it's not just the pandemic yeah. now that's affecting businesses that has affected businesses businesses recovery is being mm. affected by um um shortages in the labor market yeah. and that you can say is a little a small consequence of the pandemic mm. because i know that a lot of people changed jobs or changed focus during yeah. the pandemic yeah. a lot of people who uh, migrant workers from Europe and uh, went home during mm. the pandemic mm. so you've got that um you know you, you spoke about the airline industry as well yeah. so in terms of that there was a news news article uh, about um Ryanair mm-hmm. and uh, their boss said that even if there's a recession Ryanair will continue to grow and will grow more because of you know the you know uh, if uh, you know a lot of our listeners may know Ryanair they offer very cheap flights hmm. uh and obviously they like they won't give you like good baggage or good seating but the flights are cheap and they'll get you there so in terms yeah. of that their their boss has said even if there's a recession they will do good especially in the coming winter as well they say he said they but they're suffering great. from the shortages right they are but he said it will be good for them i mean i i had a personal experience um yeah. on a flight um recently hmm where the reason why the flight couldn't take off on time and was delayed by an hour and a half is because they didn't have staff to clean and sanitize the plane in between flights mm. now you know i you know i I, didn't, I don't know whether you know this or not but every single flight i mean there's tens of thousands of yeah. flights hundreds yeah. of thousands of flights yeah. every day mm. um from airports across the uk and every single flight in between it landing hmm. the plane landing and taken off it has to be cleaned hmm. the um a lot of the um consumables have to be removed like headphones um the food that was served on the flight the yeah. rubbish um your pillows hmm. your um you know any kind of um blankets yeah 
uh, they have to be removed. The plane has to be cleaned. Mm. New stuff has to be put back onto the plane. Um, you know, it, and a handle, and you know, it 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 takes an army mm. of workers to go onto a plane and turn it around yeah. in time for the flight. And so it, so the airlines might have the staff. Mm. I mean, the airlines where the airlines are going to struggle mm. is to provide check-in staff. Where the airlines are going to struggle is to provide stewards. Yeah. Where the airlines are going to struggle is um, to have the staff to get the planes, um, to get the passengers on hmm. and to get passengers off. But they still have no control over the facilities management companies that need to provide the staff to um, get the planes uh, ready in between takeoff and uh, in between landing and, and takeoff. And that, and that you know, it... it, it there's so many things that are interconnected yeah um and there's so many things that for example go on in, in an airport hmm. um there's all of the hospitality there's the you know there's the kind of transport and infrastructure yeah uh, and car parking and drop off and you know around there's the facilities and the amenities within the airport hmm. there's the immigration hmm. border control hmm. um uh, baggage handlers. Yeah. There was a shortage. I, I, a friend of mine said to me that the, he was stuck in the airport for three or four hours after mm. the flight because they didn't have the baggage han handlers to take the baggage off the flight. Oh. Yeah. So you know, I think I think that you know we we can talk a lot mm. about. I think the pandemic yep, yep, being the a, a, a challenge for businesses, but now it was definitely. But I think Brexit has also played a big role in this as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because so many, you know, so many people have left or have been like forced to leave, mm. and uh, so those jobs they're vacant and uh, they're not being fulfilled. That's why uh, I think a lot of businesses have also been affected as well. Well, ironically, we're now. Ironically, we're now going um, back to countries like Pakistan, India, mm. Africa, um, to fill our labour shortage, to yeah. fill to fill yeah. fill the gaps mm. that have been left by some of the Europeans mm. that have con that have con that have gone back. Yeah. Um, you know, just looking at some of the other research relating to this topic, um, because we are talking about businesses that have been affected by the pandemic. New research has revealed how much each industry has been affected since the start of the pandemic. A study by Marketing Training Hub, the School of Marketing, which I mentioned earlier, has been comparing different industries. Yeah. And um, the wholesale industry, the retail industry, the accommodation and food services industry, the motor trades industry, the health and social care industry, the education industry, the construction industry, transportation and storage, real estate, production, agriculture, forestry and fishing, arts, entertainment, recreation and other services, business mm. administration and support services, financial and insurance, IT, all of these industries have been affected by different ways. And the ones that have been affected most negatively are wholesale, retail, accommodation and food service, the motor trade, health and social care, and uh, health and social care. Yeah. The ones that have been least affected and actually have seen positive, surprise, surprise, information mm. and communication. Mm and finance and insurance, professional, scientific and technical activities. And these are the sectors which you would expect um, that got most busy during the pandemic. Yeah. So there's a little bit of further context. Just to discuss this a little bit further, I'm delighted to say that we, we've been joined on the line by our next guest, um, 
And our next guest is, Dr. is Professor Sheila Agarwal, who's the Associate Head of School for the School for Research and Innovation and the co-director of the Center for Coastal Communities at the University of Portsmouth. Professor Sheila Agarwal, there is a, a very, very lengthy biography here. And if I read through the whole biography, I don't think I'll have time to talk to you. So please, apolo- um, please take my, accept my apologies for not reading the full biography, but we'd really love to ask you some questions this morning. Welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio and, 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 and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invite. How have businesses been affected during the course of the pandemic? I mean, I've shared some figures there, which which kind of give it a numerical perspective. But but how have businesses been affected in in your in your field of study and in, in your opinion? Um, well, generally, there's been as you've highlighted already, there's been a differential effect on businesses. Yeah. Um, during the course of the pandemic. Um, Many businesses um, and suppliers or those connected um, with businesses, particularly if they've got an internet presence or they're digitized, have thrived. Um, Restrictions of movement have driven the consumer to participate in online buying like never before. Um, The internet kind of levels the playing field, so to speak, in terms of competition. So many small, medium and uh, large-sized businesses did really well. Businesses connected to home leisure items did well, you know, provided entertainment for those on furlough. Lazy spas, home gym equipment, um, we saw increased sort of demand for that. Then, of course, delivery businesses um, connected to um, online sales boomed. So if you take Royal Mail, for example, um, they were forecast to make um, a huge loss pre-pandemic, but actually um, made record profits post-pandemic. On the other hand, Many businesses where operations were curtailed by COVID restrictions were very negatively affected. So high street um, businesses, retail, and I don't think they've ever totally recovered as COVID's made a long-lasting impact on our consumer behaviour habits. Um, Health, beauty, uh, for example, you've already mentioned health and social care. And then, of course, hospitality, events, tourism, cruise. You know, some staff were furloughed, made redundant for long periods of time. Um, and again, these also negatively affected many businesses who supply the industry as well. So if you take, for example, breweries, things like catering, wedding companies. Um, so it's had a really differential impact across business um, overall. And um, what were, you know, some of the responses um that these businesses had in place, like did most of them, obviously a lot of them did shut down, but did they have any contingencies in place that they would uh, uh, try? Um, Of course, well, during sort of COVID restrictions, um, you know, there isn't a lot that the hospitality events um, or the tourism industry could actually do as a contingency. Hmm. Um, But as restrictions um, eased, Um, it sort of sparked, I suppose, it sparked a kind of a strategic look into business operations. Hmm. And for some, it's led to a more effective way of operating. So if you take, for example, the hospitality industry, they're now making increasing use of um, artificial intelligence, chatbots to deal with customer service issues. Hmm. Um, The tourist attractions, so theme parks, for example, 
uh, make a more use of time ticketing yeah. so they know how many customers are on site at any one time and they can plan their staffing hmm. more precisely around this so they're not over or under staffing yeah. um, restaurants have heavily invested in app development um, so you, you know order food and beverages at the table so it cuts down on sort of waitress service and time and all of this has been matched by investments in websites so you know booking online yeah. and again it helps businesses match staff into the, the to demand at any one time hmm. and um you know the um, uh, the pandemic had a great impact you spoke about tourism as well the tourism industry will will it ever recover and go back to its you know uh, previous heights well we saw a boom once restrictions lifted and yeah. um, particularly domestically we saw a boom in the travel industry in the uk yeah. um, because people couldn't travel overseas um, and actually, that's had a differential impact on the industry because, of course, it really exposed some areas that were already suffering hmm. from over-tourism. Hmm. Um, and it really heightened the negative impact that tourism can have on a destination. So if you take the southwest, for example, certain areas in Devon and Cornwall or already receive high levels of tourism and the, sort of, the COVID restrictions of travel overseas. Um, ex- exacerbated the number of tourists in a very small, you know, geographical space. Yeah. So it really heightened the need for better planning and management. Um, foreign holidays, of course, initially during COVID restrictions, um, many U- EU countries were negatively affected because, of course, Spain, France, Italy, Greece are all heavily dependent on tourism as their main source of um, one of their main sources of economic activity. Um, yes, we can see the industry has bounced back. I never for a minute thought that it wouldn't. Um, you know, our annual overseas holiday is very important to uh, to the UK. And I guess the popularity is evidenced by the strain experienced by airports, which has been heavily broadcast in the media, um, you know, and by airlines cutting flights. Um, you know, we, we saw, um, Professor Agarwal, we saw during the pandemic huge amounts of support being given to businesses and industries um, by the government and some industries and businesses would may may argue that there wasn't enough but you know the government argues um, for the amount of support that was given you know now that we've you know we've come out of the pandemic and we we've reflected on the fact before the interview with yourself how some industries are trying to recover from the pandemic but that recovery is being affected by new factors that uh, new difficulties and new challenges that they're facing which may or may not be linked to the pandemic um what do you think is required in terms of ongoing support for businesses who and industries that continue to be affected um it's a difficult one isn't it mm. i mean i think it's a case of the government talking to business leaders to find out you know what kind of package of measures would be most suitable. Um, every business has different needs. Um, I guess, you know, cash flow is really important. Um, so perhaps, you know, interest-free loans um, where cash flow is a is a particular problem. I mean, in terms of retail, there's been a, a long-going debate for many years about the death of the high street. <laughs> First was mm. the development of out-of-town retail parks. And now with our change of consumer behavior, which has driven us to engage more in Internet online buying, um, you know, there needs to be a sort of a real look at how to support uh, town centers. 
um, encouraging people to come rather than shop online. Um, so maybe it's about the government looking at sustainable travel options to make it easier for people to avoid congestion, to come into town centres, um, or the avoidance of excessive car parking charges. You know, a lot of this is council run and they've had to put their prices up to support council activities. Um, so maybe it's around providing subsidies for things like that to make it easier for people to come and visit. So it's really difficult to say, um, you know, precisely, you know, for a particular, for all businesses, because every business needs is very different. Mm. Mm. Professor Agul, it's been wonderful speaking to you this morning. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and expertise on this topic. And we'd love to have you on again on the show sometime soon. Um, all that's left is for me to wish you a, a great day and, 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 and peace be with you. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm, I'm from Plymouth University, by the way, not Portsmouth. Just thought I'd correct you. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry <laughs> about okay. that. It's, I may have I may have triggered some sensitivities amongst <laughs> both people from Plymouth and Portsmouth there. So thank <laughs> no, you. For, thank you for correcting that. Yeah. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. So it's eight uh, fifty-seven. We're coming towards the end of the show. Um, I think um, we've talked a lot after this, after this morning about. Um, disasters. Yeah. Um, the current perilous state of the planet, and I think it's fitting that we just reflect on some the Islamic perspective of how to deal with some of these um, challenges. Um, first of all, um, you know, uh, you know, and His Holiness yeah. Hazrat Mirza Musur Ahmad, the the, the, the fifth hmm. Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He has explained that at the time of disasters, we should do our utmost to fulfill the rights of God yeah. and his people. Yeah. So we must pray with anguish and passion hmm. in order to seek the mercy of God. Hmm. His Holiness has advised that one should show kindness and compassion and that the need for prayers um, should be emphasized saying that one should remember that prayer is the most powerful of means. Hmm. One ought to pray with the belief and the conviction that God listens to prayers. Hmm. Pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for the community, hmm. but also pray for the whole of humanity. His Holiness has advised that we should focus greatly on prayers and to pray that God enables everyone to witness the acceptance of their prayers. Similarly, hmm. in order to achieve anything, Allah the Almighty has also prescribed certain means and methods which are necessary to be adopted and i don't have the time now to go through all of them but mm. i think you know where his holiness has has instructed us to pray for everyone yeah not just the people in our own circle definitely i think that highlights the beauty of the teaching mm. of islam that we need to fulfill the rights of our creator mm. and also fulfill the rights of his creation mm. and his whole creation mm. and by having not just praying for everybody but having a concern for everybody is, is, and is always be truthful as honesty is the best policy. Exactly, in our practice. That brings us to the end of the show. We are now going on news. Thank you for being with us this morning. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.